Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Can I say thank you to Jubilee Church Derby and your great church plant that's happening in Burton. Uh, thank you guys for all your support of what we're doing, both regionally, because now Graham is leading the regional team, which is the Midlands region. He's doing that rooted here, based in Derby, as he said, with all those churches, Leicester, Stoke. Uh, we've got churches now in Malvern. We've got churches uh, in Rugeley, in Stafford, and it's just wonderful to see what God's doing right across this region. And that's being led from here. It's being led by Graham from here. But also, Graham is part of our Christ Central Apostolic team and is right in the heart of that team. He's right at the heart of what we're doing, both here in the UK and increasingly abroad in the nations. In fact, it's through Graham and some of the contacts that we've had that things are opening up now in Cambodia. You've met Sitan. Uh, what a joy it is to meet him. And uh, he's been here, hasn't he, in this uh, very setting. And uh, a lot of that has been down to Graham and, uh, all, uh, and working with other guys as well. But a lot of that's been down to Graham. And I want to say thank you for releasing Graham to do that. Now, he's going nowhere. Just Let me just dispel any myth or rumor. He's not going anywhere because some people say when you start to thank somebody for doing something regionally or nationally or internationally, they tend to disappear. But no, he's Graham and Sarah rooted here in Derby, building a great church here locally. But actually from this great church here locally, you are having an influence. Yes, down the road in places like Burton. Yes, of course, in the region, places like Leicester and Stoke but actually in the nations. Isn't that exciting that from Derby we're affecting nations? And I want to say thank you for releasing Graham to do that. My heart is that Graham is released more and more to serve God's purposes locally and to serve God's purposes nationally and internationally. And there's a cost in that. I really appreciate that. I appreciate there's a sense of excitement and stirring. This is our Graham. Uh, it sounds like blind date, doesn't it? Our Graham. There's, some of you of a certain age will know that reference. Some of you younger guys are going, what on earth is that? Our Graham is being released more and more. Uh, but there's also a cost because sometimes you'll travel, sometimes you'll be away for a week, sometimes you won't be here on a Sunday. And I appreciate the cost that is to you. And we appreciate your giving of him to us in the wider movement of New Frontiers, specifically our neck of the woods called Christ Central. also want to say thank you for releasing David Ash to us. David serves on our core team, uh, helping us implement, administrate, and uh, he's such a joy to be with, and uh, he's such fun and such good value. And uh, we had the pleasure of being with... He really is. He really is. It's, uh, <laughs> he, he is. He's... He's such fun. We had the pleasure of being with David out in Zambia and uh, to see, well, well, I don't know. He has a little try, um, that white boy, can dance. But it's great to see, again, from you here, nations being influenced. I know David and Kat have got nations on their heart as well. And we want to commend you as a local church for serving well locally, for serving well regionally, but also being a resource base for the nation 
and the nations. Now, actually, that's not dissimilar to what I want to talk about. If you've got Isaiah chapter 49, this is an interesting portion of God's word. It forms part of what's called the servant songs in Isaiah. Those are songs or uh, chapters, we would call them chapters 40 to 55. I'm not sure when Isaiah wrote them. He wrote chapter numbers or headings, but we call them chapters 40 to 55. And they form the servant songs. And it's a little strange because Isaiah is really prophesying, particularly to Judah, but to Israel as well, actually doom and gloom. He's prophesying, look, if you persist in these evil ways, if you keep on going like this, if you keep on turning your back on Yahweh, if you keep on not, uh, mingling with the nations, if you keep on taking on their practices, if you keep on doing that, actually, I'm going to turn you over to the nations for some discipline. Actually, I'm going I'm to uh, cause you to go in captivity and into exile. And of course, that's actually what does happen. But right in the middle, and this always happens with God, right in the middle of any judgment, Right in the middle of any disaster, right in the middle of any problem, God rings a bell of hope and of truth. That's what happened in the garden right at the beginning when we were banished from the garden back into exile ourselves. But God said, there's going to come a day when the seed of the woman, who we now know is Jesus, the seed of the woman will come. And although the serpent will try and strike his heel, and we know that happened on the cross, the servant struck him. Actually, he will crush his head. That doesn't work so well on your stage. You need a nice hollow stage for that. He'll crush his head. And there's hope right in the darkest day. Well, there's hope here in the, right in the middle of Isaiah. You're introduced to this amazing person called the servant of the Lord. Now, we know who that is. It's Jesus. It's so clear as it unfolds. Isaiah 53 couldn't be more clear about the cross of, and the resurrection of Jesus. But for them, it was veiled. For them, it was mysterious. Who is this servant of the Lord who is coming? It seems to be wrapped up with him coming. Now, we can apply these verses about the servant of the Lord that I'm just about to read to Jesus, of course. But because, as we were hearing yesterday, we're in Christ, anything that's true of Christ is true of us because we're in him. And so therefore, we can apply these verses to us. So let's just read them. And I particularly want to talk about this sense of sending and going and being arrows. And you'll get that from this Passage, Isaiah 49, the servant of the Lord, it's heading up. Listen to me, you islands. Now, interestingly enough, when they're writing about islands, it doesn't mean like the Isle of Wight or the Isle of Man or the Greek islands or something like that. The distant islands that it's referring to here was actually the ends of the earth. And actually, where would the ends of the earth be from his writing, probably Britannia, would be right up there. Probably we would be the ends of the earth. In fact, actually, this has got quite a prophetic ring to us because anyone got the ESV here? Oh, you are so superior. We bow to you. What does it say rather than islands? Coastlands. What did New Frontiers used to be called before it was called New Frontiers? Coastlands. From these verses, actually, because it had that sense of the ends of the earth. That's why Terry called that first little movement of three or four churches together, coastlands, because we were going to the ends of the earth. Unfortunately, when somebody did the graphic, and graphic designers have a lot to answer for sometimes, you can either bless us or you can give us problems. Who's a graphic designer here? 
Oh, no, I'm not offending anyone. Praise the Lord. Um, <clears throat> when the graphic was done for coastlands, it was the seven sisters of the south coast. You know, those kind of uh, white cliffs that there are along Beachy Head. And that was the graphic. And people thought coastlands was all about the south coast of England. It wasn't. That's why we had to change it. Like, it said new frontiers. It wasn't about coastlands. It was about going to the ends of the earth. So these verses resonate for us. Listen. I gave you that for free, by the way. Uh, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, and this is about Jesus, but we can apply it to us. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he's made mention of my name. He's made my mouth like a sharpened sword. And we hear in Revelation that Jesus is coming with a sword, a a tongue like a sword, a sword in his mouth. We're not going to reference the sword today. That's a whole other sermon. But we're going to look at this next bit. In the shadow of his hand, he hid, he hid me and made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver and said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Look at verse 6. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to just restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. So this servant who's going to come and restore out of exile Jacob, Israel, Judah, the tribes. It's too small a thing for you to do that and bring back those in Israel I've kept. I will make you a light for the Gentiles and, and you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the great servant. Thank you that you have brought your salvation to the ends of the earth. Thank you that if we could interview Isaiah right now via video link, he would say, Darby, well, ends of the earth. Well, that's the coastlands. That's the distant nation. And we thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to us and we are now in Christ, in the suffering servant. We're in the Messiah. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to us today. Let your word live to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. This image of Jesus as an arrow prepared and being sent from heaven, if you like, sent for a purpose, is one that's resonated a lot with us. Personally, in my home church that Anne and I grew up, we met, uh, married, I first got involved with leadership and eldership in our home setting of Hastings, which uh, John and Julie know quite well. John was asking me about my, uh, the, of the building that we bought there in Hastings. Well, one of the prophetic words that God gave to us in Hastings in the early days, probably at least 35 years ago, was that God would raise up young men and women like arrows and they would be sent from Hastings, which is not that well known other than losing a battle with an arrow in the eye, but go from Hastings to the ends of the earth. Interesting enough, next week is the Hastings 40th birthday, and they've got a 40th birthday party. And they're doing a map and a chart of all where the arrows have landed all over the world, literally every continent, literally many different countries. And I had the pleasure of doing a little video clip to them this week saying, yeah, we're one of those arrows we've been sent. This word resonates with us very much. It resonates actually with us as new frontiers, the family of churches that God has blessed us in and we're privileged to be part of. There was that prophetic picture a few years ago. In fact, it was one of the prophetic pictures that Anne and I moved north from the south coast, from the coastlands to the ends of the earth, moved north, was this picture of the bow and arrow that Terry Virgo had superimposed across the south of the UK, but actually stretched up right into the heart 
of the UK. You know, we're right here in the heart of the UK, stretched right up into the heart of the UK. And as we did that, as God stretched this arrow right up into the heart of the UK, arrows would be sent all over the world. But first, we should stretch the bow up. And that's actually what's happened. It's happened with us as part of Christ Central. As we've seen this arrow and this bow and arrow pulled up into the heart of the UK. Yes, we've planted churches like Derby. Yes, we've seen churches planted all over the UK, north of the UK. Wonderful. Why? So the arrows might again be fired to the ends of the earth. And it also has a prophetic resonance for Anne and I personally. Terry Virgo prophesied over us about 15 years ago as we were moving from the south to the north. He said, I see you and Anne like an arrow sent to the north from the south. And uh, it's a bit strange imagery because the image changes. As you land in the north, it's going to become like a mighty maypole. And if any of you know what maypoles represent, it's a kind of strange image out of Virgo's mouth. But it's kind of a fertility symbol. Uh, But we'll forget all that. It was a maypole. And he said, I see men and women coming and attaching colored ribbons. It's like we're we're into Morris dancing now. I see men and women coming and attaching colored ribbons to you. And it becoming like a very creative. If you've ever seen it them do that. It's just quite amazing how they weave them all in together. And it becoming, and he used this word 15 years ago before it was ever on any of our lips, it becoming like a sphere. And that sphere stretching out into Europe, particularly Scandinavia, and across into the Americas, particularly Canada, which is amazing because we had no particular heart for those nations at that time. Right now, Christ Central Churches are planting three churches in Scandinavia, which we've sent from the UK. And we're planting churches in Canada and reaching into the Americas as well. Isn't it amazing, prophetic history? You've got to get hold of your prophetic history. You must treasure prophecies. Prophecies aren't just interesting things you file away in the drawer. There was once this old couple who had a prophetic uh, word from God. And, uh, you know, it was like this amazing thing they treasured. And what they would do every now and again, they would get the young people round and they would say... Um, they used to call this, it's kind of old, this is a true story, they used, it was old days, they used to call it their blessed experience, because it was just a prophecy they had, and you know, every now and then they'd say, Fred, why don't you get out the blessed experience? So he'd get out the blessed experience, and he'd read it to the young people who were encouraged. They weren't doing anything about it, they weren't living in it, they just read the blessed experience to the young people. Anyway, one day, Fred says to his wife, Edith, Edith, go and get the blessed experience to read to the young people. She goes out the back into the drawer and there's a scream. And she runs in and she says, no, the mice have eaten our blessed experience. Right, don't let the mice eat your blessed experience. Prophecy isn't something for you to be filed away. Prophecy isn't just something for you to get out and polish. Prophecy is for us to believe God. For when God speaks to us, we put confidence in what he said. And we get encouragement from that. And as we step into it, prophecy affirms and confirms what we're doing. There's many prophetic words over you as Darby. There's many prophetic words over Graham and Sarah. Many prophetic words over you as individuals. Don't let the mice eat them. Grab hold of it. Anyway, let's look at our scriptures today. I want to bring out several points about this. Number one, it's important that we know our calling. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he's mentioned, made mention of my name. And dear friends, you need to know that you have not chosen Christianity. You haven't just researched it and chosen it as better or the best of a bad lot of religions. 
It's like, well, I think we've, you know, we've looked into Buddhism, we've looked into Islam, we've looked into this, we've looked into that. Oh, I think we'll choose Christianity. It's kind of, and we can, we can be British, and it's kind of the nice one that fits us. No, no, actually, neither have you chosen God. It's not like you've researched and said, yeah, I think I'll choose God. I think I'll become a Christian. Now, from your perspective, you may have come on an Alpha course. You may have come and looked into that. It might have felt from your perspective like you were choosing God. But the truth is this. God has chosen you. He's made mention of your name from your birth. Jeremiah was able to say the same thing. Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, God says to Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And I believe very much in the sovereignty of God. I believe very much God has put his hand down through human history and molded every one of your circumstances, molded everything about you, the womb that you were born in, the parents that conceived you, the home that you were brought up in, however difficult and troubling that was. God has used that to shape you and to bring you to a place where you are most open and receptive to the gospel. He planted you in the country that have his choice. He planted you in the education system of his choice. And most of us look and wish we were somebody else. We wish we had somebody else's good looks. We wish we had somebody else's education. We wish we had somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife or whatever. You look, or somebody else's children. Somebody else's life is always more glamorous than yours, isn't it? Have you ever thought that? Some, you can always find some, oh, well, that, they've got it easy. Their house, their car, their life, their job, their this, their that. No, God has chosen you and your circumstances for good that he might form you and bless you, and bring you to a place where you received him, and then you are shaped by those things for good going forward. Don't moan about the past. It might be very difficult. It might have been dreadful things that have happened to you, but actually God has even used those enemy attacks to shape you and to weave it in to your life for good. The best biblical analogy I can give of that is the life of Joseph. I mean, what a dysfunctional family. Different wives Jacob had. He's a twister, a supplanter, a liar, a cheat. He has favorite children, which in the end doesn't bless them at all. <laughs> Certainly doesn't bless Joseph or his brothers. I mean, what a dysfunctional mess he's born into. And yet God uses those very dysfunctions, that very difficult things for his glory. God uses prison. God uses a misunderstanding at work and boy was it a misunderstanding he uses all of those things for his good and for his glory so at the end when the brothers come to joseph and they say they're naughty boys I mean, they really are they say our dying father's wish is that you'd forgive us it wasn't actually we can find out what his dying father's wish was we'll look at it in a minute it was a prophecy over each of them but actually they say our dying father's wish was that you might forgive us. And Joseph said, I've forgiven you already. Guys, I've forgiven you. And then he says this amazing phrase, for you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's been evil happen to you. There's been very bad things happen to us. Very difficult circumstances in our lives. But an enemy meant for evil. But God has turned it and uses it for good. In our lives. Therefore, we can thank God for all things. For all things work together for good for those who love Him 
and are called according to his purpose. Because the calling of God involves all circumstances in your life. And you just need this morning just to know I'm called of God. Now, you may be a guest here this morning. You may not yet be a Christian. I want to encourage you, just look at your life circumstances. Look at the so-called coincidences that happen in your life. Look at those Christians you've met. Look at those people who have come across your path. Look at those books you've been reading. Look at those thoughts you've been having. Where do you think they have come from? Is there not a sovereign God working in your life to bring you to this point that you might give your life and surrender your life to him? So when you say, God and Jesus, I choose you, you actually find out, no, he chose you. When did he choose you? Well, we get a little hint in it in the book of Ephesians. It says this in Ephesians 1, verse 4. He has chosen us before the creation of the world. Just in case you get any idea that you've done something good. It was before, the cre- before it was even messed up. Before you messed up, before the world was messed up, he chose you and has called you according to his purposes. And then we get this... Interesting analogy of an arrow being made. And that's what I want to zone in. We could zone in on the sword. Perhaps that's another talk for another time. But I want to zone in on this sense of an arrow being made. And I grew up in a very rural context. And opposite where my parents lived, in fact, they still live, lived in the same house for over 50 years. And uh, opposite there are some woods. And I regularly used to go into the wood, thought myself a bit of a Robin Hood. And I used to go into the woods and I used to make a bow out of some... um, tree, uh, you know, sticks and branches and you know, get a bit of mum's kitchen string and, uh, you know, make an arrow and I would, you know, go and do the whole Robin Hood thing and my arrow would go, <laughs> it wouldn't go anywhere, it'd be so pathetic, it'd be so awful, but I kind of reckon myself. This is not about us having a go at making something. It's not about Graham and Sarah having a go at making a few arrows here. It's not about, no, this is about God who is a great arrow maker. I think they call them Fletchers, don't they? He's a great arrow maker. And God is shaping arrows here to be sent into Derby, into difficult places, into areas of social need and social concern, into businesses, into schools, into hospitals. God is shaping arrows here. This isn't about an entertainment on a Sunday morning. This isn't about just gathering a few happy, clappy Christians. God is shaping lives here to be sent into the darkness, to be sent into the world. He's shaping arrows here to be sent into nations. He's shaping arrows here to be sent into other towns and villages. He's shaping lives. All of us are being shaped. This isn't just one or two people. It's not just Matt and Lou are being shaped to sent to Burton. No, actually, all of us are being shaped by God. What happens to an arrow? Let me just very quickly, and I want to apply this and prophesy over you. This is what happens to an arrow. First of all, the arrow is cut out of a branch of a tree. It's just cut out of a tree. And that can be very painful sometimes. You're cut out of that which you're familiar with, the world. You're cut out of that which you're kind of, you know, you swayed with the breeze when other people swayed with the breeze. You felt nice and secure in the tree that you were. And suddenly God cuts you out and starts to trim things off you. That's what you do with an arrow. You trim all the things that are unnecessary, all the things that are going to stop it flying. 
And God does that. He starts to work on your heart and work on your character. He starts to work in things to you. He starts to do things in you. And others seem to get away with things. Family members and friends, they're getting away with this. But God's speaking to me about this. And God's cutting things off me. God's doing it, friends. He's actually trimming you up. He's actually starting to shape you and make you into the implement of destruction and warfare and the implement of blessing that he wants you to be. God's dealing with you in these things. And then the arrow is smoothed down. It's rubbed down with like sandpaper. And you think it was bad enough having a few leaves cut off you, but actually God now starts to work on you fine detail. He starts to sand you down. He starts to get out all those bad things. He starts to do some work on you. And you think, I just want to be sent. And God says, no, we're not sending you yet. You're not fit for purpose yet. I'm working on you. I'm working on your character. And the difficulties and the trials that we go through as Christians actually are God's blessing. It's God shaping and sanding us. A great man of God, F.B. Meyer of a different generation, a great commentator on characters in God's uh, word, said this about trials and difficulties. Trials are God's vote of confidence in you. (laughs) The Bible says those he loves, he disciplines. Guys, you're going through some difficult stuff here. You're going through some difficult trials. Yes, there's an enemy at work, but God is using it to shape you. God is using it to sand you down so that when he fires you from his bow, you won't do what my childhood arrow did, which is you'll actually straighten up and fly right. You'll actually go right into the heart of where he's sending you. I mean, you look at what happened with Joseph. Brothers, Potiphar's household, prison. I mean, God was using it. And the issue here was actually Joseph's attitude, Joseph's heart to it all. I would imagine Joseph could be very bitter, but he didn't allow bitterness to get hold of him. We actually know that from a prophetic word that Jacob, Jacob, as I referred to, when Jacob is dying, he gets all the brothers together and prophesies magnificently over them. The best prophecy is in, is in uh, Genesis 49, and it's verse 22, and it's over Joseph. It says this, Joseph, you're a fruitful vine, a vine near a spring or a bubbling spring. I believe that speaks of the spirit. We'll come back to that. A vine near a spring whose branches climb over the wall. With bitterness, archers attacked you and shot at you with hostility. It's interesting how he uses the arrows and the archers analogy. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed supple because of the hand of the mighty one. He said, Joseph, you didn't get bitter. Joseph, why? Because you were planted strong. And your roots went down into this bubbling brook. Your roots went down into this stream. Joseph was a man of the spirit. He's a man of the word. He was a man of truth. And when things happened to Joseph... Actually, all it did was push his roots down even further into God. Do you know that's what's happening to you? You think you're being harmed by trials and tragedies and difficulties. No, you're not. Actually, your roots are just being pushed further down. I'll give you an analogy of this. Who here is old enough to remember the great storm of 87? 
See, some of us do. So particularly our southerners. It, up, up north, it were a gentle breeze. But down south, <laughs> down south, it was the hurricane. You remember the Michael Fish? Someone's phoned in tonight to say a hurricane. Have no fear, there's no hurricane. Yeah, right, thank you, Michael. He's dined out on that for the rest of his life. In 1987, there was this tremendous hurricane that hit the south coast of England. Its epicenter hit in Hastings, actually, and just up the road, Seven Oaks, where my friend Roger By, who's now in Cumbria, was ministering, became One Oaks overnight. And uh, the park, local park where we grew up, Alexandra Park, had massive specimen trees. It's a beautiful valley in Hastings. Almost all those trees went over. And I've got photographs of us standing and sitting on these giant trees that all went over like nine pins when the storm came just outside hastings is a pretty ugly place i mean not saying hastings is that beautiful but romney romney marsh dim church around there in fact dim church is so it's probably well named but dim church is so dull and so featureless that when they built the dungeness nuclear power station nobody protested <laughs> it actually made it it was a feature of the landscape now but anyway, there's, there's all sorts of trees on Romney Marsh, on Dimchurch. And they're all a bit gnarled, actually. They all kind of move with the prevailing southwesterly winds that you get there because they face the winds all the time. Do you know how many of those went down in the great storm of 87, even though they were only, what, 15 miles from Hastings? None of them. Why? Because they face the prevailing westerlies all the time. And trials and winds and troubles had caused their roots to go right deep. That's what God does in you. So that you might stand in the evil day. He blesses you with trials. He blessed Joseph with trials. And he's blessing you with trials. So that actually your roots might go down deep into him. Then the arrow is put in a frame and stretched. Just in case there's any last kink in it. And God's doing that with some of you, stretching you. He's putting you in situations where you don't want to be. Joseph did not want to be in Potiphar's household. He did not want to be a slave. He was a, a grandson of Abraham, a child of the freedom of Abraham, the free child of God. He was enslaved in Potiphar's household. It was stretching. But do you know what? He rose to the top, didn't he? Then, of course, you get the tragedy with Potiphar's wife in prison. Yeah, they don't get the idea of porridge and Ronnie Barker when you think of Joseph in prison. You know, th this is not a comedy show. An Egyptian prison would have been pretty awful. But what happens with Joseph? He's stretched again. He rises to the top. God does amazing things in him. And God is stretching some of you at work. He's stretching some of you in family life. He's stretching some of you in church life. He's stretching some of you with heart for the poor and the needy. And actually, in that stretching... God is doing something of a straightening out in you so that when he fires you, you will not wobble, but actually you will fly straight and hit the target. And then lastly, the arrow is treated with oil. You can look all this up on the internet. It's a fascinating process. It's the, the Fletcher treats it with oil. He oils it. In fact, he's been oiling it all the time, but lastly, he just bases the whole thing in oil. Don't forget the oil of the Spirit. Don't forget that we're a movement of the Spirit. New Frontiers, yes, we're based in Reformed, good, doctrinal theology. I love that. But one of the things that we were birthed in is the moving of the Holy Spirit. 
And you can have all the theology you like. You can have great theology. But without the spirit, it's dry and brittle and crusty and tasteless and won't do you any good. With the spirit, with the kerosene of the spirit on it, the whole thing blows up. The whole thing goes in a good way. We need to be doused with the spirit. We need to be men and women soaked in the spirit. Joseph was a man of the spirit. How do I know that? How do I know he's a man of the spirit? Well, that prophetic word says that his roots went down into the bubbling brook, which I believe always, living waters always speak of the spirit. So I believe that of the word. But also I believe in practice. When the butler and baker come to him with dreams, you imagine you're in a prison, you're in an Egyptian prison. What got you into the prison in the first place? Remember, you imagine butler and baker come to him and say, oh, he, he says, it's so funny, you read the text, he says, why are you so sad today? <laughs> He's a sensitive man. He can tell there's something different. Why are you? They're sad because they're in prison, Joseph. None of us are particularly happy here. It's a miserable, what do you mean, why are we so sad today? I was sad yesterday, I'll be sad tomorrow. No, no, he's sensitive, he's a man of the spirit. Why are you so sad today? Well, actually, we both had dreams. Dreams? Dreams? Let me tell you the best thing you can do about a dream. Shut your mouth. Don't tell your brothers. Don't tell your mum. Don't tell your dad. Don't tell. It was dreams that got me into this place. No, he doesn't. He says, oh, God's on this. Dreams? Tell me, guys. He's a man of the spirit. A little bit later on, when he's released from prison, Pharaoh says this. Can we find anyone else like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? This is a pagan, secular king spotting the spirit of God on Joseph. He's a man of the spirit. Dear friends, let's not lose the spirit. Let's not lose the oiling of the spirit. And don't say to me I was baptized in the spirit in 1985, 1994. How about today? Are you being freshly filled? Joseph didn't say, I, this vine had a drink a few years ago. No, it constantly drinks. It const- somebody was saying here about receiving the spirit. We were saying about drinking again. You know, you, you drink today and you'll drink tomorrow. Otherwise, you'll get dehydrated. Don't get spiritually dehydrated. Keep drinking of the Spirit. I said lastly, it was treated with oil. Actually, lastly, and this passage hints at it, lastly, it's concealed in a quiver or hidden in the shadow of a hand. And that's what happens. That's what Fletcher does. He makes this arrow perfect and then he hides it away. And some of you feel like that. You feel, God, you've worked on me for 20 years, 10 years, 5 years. God, you've worked. I'm pretty straight now. You didn't know how bent I was. Now I'm pretty straight. You've worked on my character. I'm I'm straight. I'm I'm oiled. I'm ready to go. And what does God do? Puts you in a dark place. Hides you away. That's what he did with Joseph. Kept hiding him away, hiding him away, hiding him away, hiding him away. And some of you feel like that. Don't lose heart being hidden. Don't lose heart being hidden away. Don't lose heart if you feel I'm not being used at the moment. Don't get lazy. Jesus told a story about some young girls who were ready for a wedding feast with their oil in their lamps and some other young girls who thought, it's bridegroom's never going to come. Let's not bother to keep oiling the lamps. When the bridegroom came, the ones who'd been oiling the lamps were ready. Don't lose heart in the darkness. Don't lose heart when you're waiting. I love this verse in Habakkuk. Habakkuk's not necessarily a well-quoted book of the Bible, but it says this, Habakkuk 2, 3. God's revelation 
In other words, God's prophetic purposes await an appointed time. They speak of an end and won't prove false. That's good, isn't it? God's purposes, they, 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 they wait an appointed time. They speak of an end and will not prove false. The next verse says, though they linger, excuse me, linger, wait for it. They will certainly come and not delay. Sometimes it feels like God is lingering. Jesus heard the news of Lazarus had died. He waited another day or two. You think, no, don't wait. Lazarus is dead. Go. No, he waited. And God is very patient and will just wait sometimes. He'll just wait sometimes. He'll just wait sometimes. He'll just wait sometimes. And he's going for the maximum effect. Because there's going to come a day, dear friends, and it happened with Anne and I when we moved from Hastings, sorry, the south coast to northeast. There's going to come a day when into the darkness of your quiver, God will suddenly look for an arrow. He'll suddenly get hold of you. He'll suddenly grab you and fire you and send you into that new social action project, send you into that new community. He'll send you into that new town. He'll send you to that new nation. Let's be ready. Let's be oiled. Let's know that we've been worked on. Let's be ready for when God wants to fire us, for when God wants to send us. And that's what happens to Joseph suddenly. I mean, you, it must, what it must feel like in the quiver for Joseph... After the butler and the baker's interesting stories, one's not such good news, the other is great news, you'd think that the butler would remember him, wouldn't you? Because Joseph says to the butler, remember me when you come to the power. Well, what's the one thing he's going to do? Of course he's going to remember. Every day he's going to get up and say, thank God, or in his case it would be the gods, thank the gods for Joseph, that Joseph got me my job back. People would say, didn't you used to be in prison? Oh yeah, but I met a man called Joseph. He says he totally forgot, divinely forgot. Some of you feel that. You just feel forgotten. But there comes a day when he's needed. And it said the butler remembered. And God has not forgotten you. People have forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. And there'll come a day when you are most needed, when the butler will remember. And God's sovereignty will come into place yet again. And he'll grab hold of you and he will fire you into your destiny. He'll fire you into the place of fruitfulness where he wants you. Now God just wants to apply this to our lives as we're ending. We're going to sing a song to end, but I just want to pray over a few people. I want to pray over these people. If, if this is you, you might want to stand up. You don't have to. But I feel there are people here who feel and know they're being worked on by God. It's painful. You just know God's working on a few things in my life. There's trials, there's difficulties, there's troubles. There's some people here who feel, I've been worked on for years, but I'm now in obscurity. I've been forgotten. I'm like trapped in this quiver. When the heck am I, you know, when, when the heck am I going to be used? Well, you need to have patience. You need to be oiled again with the Spirit. In fact, all of us need to be oiled again. And maybe you just feel dry. You're a dry arrow. Dry arrows are very dangerous because they crack under pressure. We need to be oiled in the spirit. If that's you, if you feel any of those things are you, would you just stand right now and we're just going to pray over you? And I want to prophesy over one or two that I feel God's already spoken to me about. Just, that's it. If that's you, just stand. There's going to be lots of us standing. This is not an emotional appeal, but it's in a sense of saying, yeah. 
Now let me just ask the Spirit of God to come on you. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, whether we're being worked on, whether we feel forgotten, whether we feel in obscurity, or whether we just feel pain right now, what we need is the oil of the Spirit. Come Holy Spirit right now. Oil these dear brothers and sisters. Let the Spirit of God be on them. Just start to bless them. Start to raise your hand towards them. If you're near them, you might just want to put a hand on their shoulder. Lord, bless our brothers and sisters. Fill them again. Oil them again. Let them know that your sovereign plan and purpose is not missed. They haven't missed anything. They're not missing anything. Your plan and your purpose is upon them for good and for blessing. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.